Welcome to Homeschool Mama Self-Care. I'm Teresa Wiedrich from CapturingTheCharmLife.com and I'm here to help you turn your challenges into your charms. If you are a homeschool mama looking for a strategy or a few to tackle your homeschool challenges, then this podcast is for you. In today's episode, I'm going to invite you into my homeschool room. Every Wednesday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, you are invited to join me in my homeschool room. The Zoom link will be found on my Facebook page, Capturing the Charmed Life. But today, you get to listen in on our last week's discussion on homeschool planning, on my homeschool planner, on the only three things that happen to be on my list for only one child homeschooling this year. And I'll share with you the 10 lessons that I've learned in 10 homeschool years. So let's chat. So today's show and tell, I wanted to show you something that I've been working on. Can you read backwards? This is my entire plan for my next homeschool year. <laughs> it's July. And uh, July, I usually have all sorts of plans going on. I've got my homeschool planner opened. I've been working on writing in all the things that the kids did last year. And I'm pretty motivated to get ideas for the following year. Maybe I'm gonna take some of the curriculum that I've used last year and transfer it into the next year. Maybe I'm creating reading lists for the kids. Um, I'm thinking about different science-based interests that they have, or maybe history books. I'm looking for different read-alouds. I've got all manner of ideas coming out of my mind that I gotta write down. So, did you see that? I have literally three things on my list. And it's just for one child, because this is a very different year for me. My oldest uh, is about to go into her second year of university across the country. So she's not here, hasn't been here for a while. And my second daughter is about to graduate high school next year. And she's very independent in her homeschool world. She is much like um, an early college student. Definitely is a college student. She's a really strong work ethic, really strong sense of herself and always knows how to get resources um, independently. And her math is well beyond even my husband's um, abilities, definitely beyond mine. And then my third daughter is 15 and she's going to try grade 10 in a public high school. So that's a big shift for us. And that's of course, assuming that public high school will happen in our part of the world. Um, that means that I have one child homeschooling at home, which is pretty weird. Uh, he's 11, and he is probably my easiest um, engageable learner because he absolutely loves reading. He reads all sorts of different things. He's got a real passion for history, but he also has learned a ton of things alongside my oldest daughter at home for science courses. So he's always um, the tagline for chemistry, physics, biology experiments. He gains so much from that. Um, so it's really easy to plan for him, and I don't really need to do a lot. In fact, I'd go farther and say that the more that I try to do for him, 
the less he's engaged. He's a very independent learner. He's a very engaged learner. He always finds things to do that are even seemingly academic looking. So for myself, this is by far my easiest year homeschooling. Pretty weird. I'm kind of working my way out of a job. So it's July something, and I have presently got three things in mind for him this year. These are ideas that I haven't discussed with him yet. Give him concerted time to do typing practice, because I found that's a really useful uh, tool for kids. Uh, we've got a great program for that. They're really easy to find online. Um, find some sort of a business or entrepreneur program. He is the one child that has had the least business experience. Yeah, and if you're giggling right now, <laughs> yep, I did say he was 11. He's going into grade seven. And my oldest was very entrepreneurial, so she was right out the gate. If she could stand, she was offering someone lemonade for a dollar. And she's been doing all sorts of business type things right from the beginning. And then, of course, that infused the second daughter and the third daughter. And they all have jobs. And um, I think my son has had a newspaper job before the pandemic. He was so glad that the pandemic happened so he didn't have to do the newspaper route anymore. And he's also worked for a neighbor as a landscape assistant and um, found that okay, but mostly he was in it for the money, not for the experience. So um, naturally entrepreneurial, I'm trying to find him a business program or a coding program. I'd be okay with that too, as uh, many 11-year-old boys, he enjoys being on the iPad and trying new apps and programs. So I'm like, well, could we harness that in a coding experience? I think that might be my idea, not necessarily his, but something I've thought to discuss with him. And the last thing is Canadian history, headphone history. There is a really cool publisher, um, Rowan Atkinson, who is Canada Homeschools, eh? and she is actually publishing my book, Homeschool Mama Self-Care, but I'm also really interested in learning about her product, the um, headphone history, because my son loves audio. He listens to Audible all the time. He loves to listen to news programs in the evening. Yep, he's 11, just like his dad. And, uh, and I thought, well, this would be perfect. I've heard really good things about it. I know that she was a history teacher before. And even though we're Canadian and we have definitely done some Canadian history, we have not delved into Canadian history as much as we've done ancient history, even American history, with my youngest because of course we've covered it all with all the other kids, but now I'm thinking we'll take a different approach to history. Those are three things that I've got on my plans for next year for him, that's it. But I know I'm alone, mostly alone, because I've been watching a lot of people online recently and people are definitely in planning mode. So to me, it doesn't even really feel like July. I don't know. I kind of am with the feeling of we've been just in a different world for the last half year. So it just feels like, yeah, it's warm. And some days it's quite cold and rainy actually for July here. But it's, it's warm, but it doesn't feel like summer like other summers. Are you like that too? Does it feel like summer where you are? But I still see a ton of people planning homeschooling 
no surprise because there's been all sorts of shifts in our world and at least in North America there's a ton of school shutdowns or they've sampled school shutdowns and there have been enough people that have had their kids at home that decided that they could take this role on as home educator they could take on the um the you know have their kids at home and be with them and learn together and i'm really excited for them because i know that 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 story for me has been a very gratifying one it was a very meaningful one and even the most challenging days don't negate the freedoms and the benefits to this lifestyle so i'm excited for everybody and just so you know i've got a free mini course how to homeschool 101 everything you need to get prepped and to have confidence and to create a schedule that really will work for you. So check that out. I'll drop the link below this. Um, now I wanted to um, ask you though, ask the audience, what is your biggest struggle around planning? Is it getting the time? Is not sure where the resources might be or probably the obvious it affects a lot of people is we're not really sure what's going on. Uh, if there might be other shutdowns or depending on where you are in the world, um, how the education system is playing out. Um, so what is your biggest struggle around planning for homeschooling? What I've seen a lot of people asking lately is, what kind of planner do I use? So for the truly organized, um, not do they only want to get a bunch of ideas, curriculum ideas, they don't just want to plan out their days, but they also want to know how, what uh, useful resources for actually creating, um, you know, organization around their plans. And everybody does things differently and that is just fine. This one has been my all-time favorite. It's called the Well-Planned Day. And until this year, I haven't even been able to access it in Canada. I've actually had to pay significant fees to have it shipped over the border. I'm not quite sure where um, I was introduced to it, but I love it. It is a really great planner, and here's why. I actually have like a... A video on my YouTube channel to don't tell people about quite a bit but uh, on my YouTube channel I have an, an opening I had like one of those unboxing is that what it's called I think I might be a wee bit too old for these terminal or this terminology but I'll show you what I do inside this planner you probably can't see this clearly but right at the top the days with the date and then I color code. So green is for my oldest daughter at home, orange is for my son, and pink is for my other daughter at home. I'm a planning behind kind of gal. So um, once upon a time, I did all those lesson plans up front, and I planned 36 weeks, 180 days, you know, very schooly stuff. And then eventually I realized that a lot of the things that they're doing are very academic or they really are some sort of learning opportunity. So why am I forcing A when they're doing B? And so oftentimes I will actually write down some of the things that they're doing that aren't considered part of my 
daily plans or my school plans and write it in as maybe, you know, an exploration in science or in history or, you know, some writing project that they're working on. And I include that in my planner. I write it in after it's done. But I won't go into the full planning mode with you right now, but I will tell you that there is a space for every day of the week. You have an option for if you're Christian or religious, um, there's a place at the top that you can write about religious training. And I use that as well with uh, languages. So languages are at the top. There's a place for math, a place for history, science, English-related projects, and then at the end of the day, I color code their extracurricular activities. So I keep track of all of those things so that this time, most years, I'm writing down what they actually did. I write down all the content of different, you know, the book lists that they've read throughout the year. I keep track of all the the um, experiments that they've done or all the history activities they've participated in or extracurriculars or jobs or you name it. And yes, it is a lot of work, but I have discovered that writing it all down actually helps me see that they have been doing a whole lot of stuff, a lot of learning. So it's a really useful process to write it all down. But if you are organizing in whatever form, fashion, you are going to home educate this year, I highly recommend this planner, the Well-Planned Day. Recently saw that it's going to be offered at um, a curriculum supplier in Canada. So I'll make sure to find out what that is and give you that uh, link. They're pre-ordering to determine whether people really do want to use this planner and if it should be brought into Canada. It'll be cheaper for all of us if we do. So, well-planned day. That is my version of a homeschool paper planner. Take a little drink. It's almost poolside development time. Sitting beside some form of water with the kids, letting them splash in the water or hanging out together and doing a little reading, beach time. Love that time of day. That is definitely my simple self-care strategy for this week is to be intentional about setting aside time that is intended to not do anything so you can actually enjoy summer. Keep it simple. We usually remember things, the sum of our lives um, in the daily simple things, not necessarily in those grand moments. So like, let's create summers that we want with our kids, right? So poolside development is going to be in about 40 minutes. I have got, um, let's see. Well, I wanted to share with you today 10 lessons that I've had from 10 homeschool years. So this is solidly a few years back that I shared this. And this is part of my How to Homeschool mini course that I share uh, with quite a few interested people and um, has a lot of significance for me because the way I went into homeschooling is not the way that I am in homeschooling now today. As you can imagine, if you have been schooled, I started in a very schooly approach. I had us all sitting around in a circle 
We didn't have official desk, but we had a big old table in a homeschool room, kind of like the one that I'm sitting in right now, except that the one that we started in, in a different house, we actually sat in every morning at 8.30, there was a bell. Everybody had to sit and be quiet and, uh, and participate when I was telling them to participate. We would go through first language lessons when my oldest two were in grade two, I think going into grade three and grade one. That was the first year. Then I had a three-year-old in the room with a toddler basket and a baby on my lap. And every morning we would go through, I don't know, three hours worth of activities. And I can get into the detail of that at a different time. It was a very classically based homeschool and it has its merit and value. And we all choose things for different reasons, but that was some form of personal torture for me to keep doing that because, not because I wasn't having fun doing it, because A, they were squirming. I mean, not even just the youngest two, the oldest two weren't thinking this was super fun having mom dictate everything from, you know, eight to 12. And also um, for me, it's not a lot of fun to long-term be dictating stuff to kids minute by minute. And the relationship between teacher and mom or just get all messy and, you know, you can't sit with the kids after school on a day and give them milk and cookies and ask them how their day was when they know they've been fighting with their teacher about finishing the full page of cursive because the teacher is you. So that didn't last very long. And I've transitioned different seasons, continue to change. Here I am. I describe the season that I'm in. Uh, the seasons are continuously changing and I'm having to adjust and learn and grow. And there's, you know, my children are learning and growing and becoming their own people and, you know, experimenting with different ideas and thoughts and ways of approaching life and their work and learning and all of those different things. And nothing ever stays the same. So we all learn the things that we need to learn right from the beginning, like, you know, classical homeschooling sounds like a fun idea for some, not so much for me, but we all have our different reasons for doing what we're doing. I didn't put them into school though, did I? I, I eventually faded from homeschooling or uh, from that classically based homeschool for the reasons I told you. And I found John Taylor Gatto and John Holt to 30-year educators that have even been awarded for their teaching. I learned a lot about unschooling, a lot about self-directed learning, and as I was doing so, I was paying attention to my own children, and my oldest came out of the womb independent and um, challenged everything that I was doing, still sometimes is, and she um, had a lot to teach me about independent learning and I watched her as I was reading these John Taylor Gatto and John Holt's books and I pulled away from the classically based homeschool world towards a little bit more of um, child-directed, project-based, Charlotte Mason-ish, eclectic, not quite sure there's a perfect word for it but my my version of unschooling. So I want to share 10 lessons that I've learned in 10 years. If you want to homeschool, you can do this. Many people have said those words. 
but that's because many people from many different stories, many different experiences of education and different um, religious um, bases and different um, you know parts of the world, different incomes, different you know education backgrounds, all of those things, many people have said the same thing. If you want to homeschool, you can homeschool. But mama self-care is a requirement, not an option. I'm hoping that my book, Homeschool Mama Self-Care Thrive, Not Just Survive, is going to be coming out really soon. And I get to share with you why I wrote that book. And it is in a snapshot because though this homeschool world is gratifying and definitely beneficial to the kids and it's fraught with freedom, I'll tell you, it's a lot. Some days are a lot. And we homeschool mamas need to take care of ourselves so we can take care of our kids. The third thing I can tell you from my 10 years is that I can influence my children, but I can't control them. This is a lesson that I began to learn the day my second daughter turned two days old. And it's a lesson I'm still learning. And it's a parenting lesson, not so much a homeschool lesson, but as everyone's, every homeschool mother's experience is, homeschooling enables those lessons quickly because they are always with us. And so we're getting repeat experiences continually and we have to grapple with them and engage them. So that lesson that I can control, but I can influence, I'm still learning. Academics are not synonymous with an education. No, they're really not. Yes, we've definitely been trained to think like that. The way that school does it is the way that we believe kids will learn. If they're putting grades in individual classrooms with 24 other kids about the same age as them, if they cover the curriculum that the government has created for them, if they get a diploma or some alternative before they finish their last year of high school, so that they can go to post-secondary school, then they are educated. And I've learned that just isn't so. You'd think I would have figured that out with my own experience, having six years post-secondary school and having, you know, 12 years of K to 12, and then experiencing what everybody experiences, that they had some fantastic days or months or years. They had great teachers and then they had really challenging ones and they had all sorts of things that they missed. And we all have those experiences, but we don't really think about why is that? What is the education anyways? Well, it isn't necessary to be exactly like a school. It isn't necessary to only have academics as an education. The fifth lesson I learned is I will indeed have to answer the age-old question into in eternity and beyond, or at least for as long as I'm homeschooling, are they socialized? How do you get your kids socialized? I'm kind of hoping that the last few months when everybody brought their kids home, um, the general public has discovered that kids can be socialized in a different way. But there is, of course, always the possibility that they've seen that as a replication of homeschooling. And um, the pandemic homeschooling experience 
is not uh, regular homeschooling in anybody's homeschool world. Even the most, you know, different philosophical approaches to homeschooling, unschooling, classically homeschooling, you know, anything in between, none of that is the same experience that the pandemic um, home learners experienced or the online learners experienced really felt for them. That was pretty crazy. The expectations to bring work home and people being sick everywhere and the fear of what's going on and not sure what's going on. And, uh, and then having to bring your kids home and get them on Zoom links or, you know, whatever school classrooms on Google and then having to organize all that and see what's going on with their kids. That must've been crazy overwhelming. And I really feel for people, but I'll tell you something. If you're one of those people that are moving into homeschooling, it isn't, it isn't homeschooling. That's not what most people know as homeschooling. Phil drink. So are they socialized? Um, I really think most time people asking that question are really asking, do kids get social opportunities? And the answer is we get the exact same stuff that everybody else gets. The only difference would be that we can accommodate it in the middle of the day and the kids, our kids don't have the constant social interaction throughout the, you know, their, their regular part of their day if they don't choose to and therefore are definitely fresh and ready to engage when they are available for those social opportunities. If I showed you my schedule last year, the extracurricular schedule, uh, schedule alone, it was overwhelming. And now that I've done this pandemic thing, I'm like, oh, finally, I know what it's like to be at home with my kids. And I way prefer it. And I would rather not go to town at all. Um, I live 20 minutes outside of town, a small town. So there aren't, you know, playgrounds and oodles of kids up and down the road. So I do know that the kids still need a drive into town, but man, I sure enjoyed having that quiet. But because last year and years before that, I mean, each of the kids might have five to eight dance classes each and have um, like soccer or curling practice. And then there's uh, choirs. A few of them had choirs and part-time jobs and of course youth group and all the different um, activities that they set up or sleepovers or whatever. And there was a lot going on. So uh, social opportunities. Yep. We're good. When it comes to socialization and them becoming kind, communal, considerate people. Yep. We're also good. Now, sixth lesson. I may have been the greatest educational recipient in my homeschool experience. I am sure that my kids have learned plenty. I know for sure that I have learned a ton. And it has been super fun to dabble in all my interests as well as my children's um, to discover that parents can include themselves in their kids' education and create incredible memories. And they get to watch their parents do that whole lifelong learning thing that everyone talks about. Our goal is to create lifelong learners. I think the truth is we don't really need to because I think humans are learners. If we're given enough space and time and allowed to pursue our own interests, we are lifelong learners put under the right environment or in the right environment. Um, 
but they get to watch us also participate in that learning. And I can guarantee you, you learn a lot. I mean, I learned double digit subtraction. Yes, I did while I was homeschooling. Lesson number seven, there really is no one right way to homeschool. Just like there is no one right way to parent. That's a lot of pressure to put on a parent. It's not just the kids that are growing and learning. Reality check is that we are also human beings growing and learning. And though I was the same kind of parent that said uh, when I first had babies, I said, um, I know what to do. I read the books. I know what I'm going to do right. I know what I'm going to prevent. I have read all the books. I was a postpartum nurse as well. And I had my little recipe cards of all the information that they needed to know before they brought their babies home. So I figured, I had it figured. And reality check, nope, I did not. In fact, the biggest lesson I've learned about parenting is that your kids are the mirrors to you. They reflect back the things that you need to learn. Um, that's the uncomfortable part of the growth in parenting. But I think that our kids were hand-picked for that purpose. They were placed in our homes, in our wombs, some of our wombs, or we got to create connections and include them in our family through um, an adoption process or a foster care process. We got to include those kids in our families because I think they're placed in our worlds for their benefit and also for our benefit. And wow, have I ever learned a lot from my kids. But I have learned that there is no one right way to parent and there is no one right way to homeschool because we have to ask ourselves, What's the purpose of homeschooling? What is an education anyways? An education is there to facilitate a specific person to have the tools and the knowledge so that they can go do something that hopefully has value and intrinsic purpose for them, that they can create an income stream, uh, stream to support them and their family so that they can maybe support or help their family Maybe they can contribute to their community and do the thing that they were meant to do on this earth. I think that's what an education is. So if an education is that, then you have to ask, what is homeschooling the right way anyway? Lesson number eight, I know a lot and I'll never know enough to homeschool my kids, but I don't need to, which kind of ties into what my last lesson was. The goal is to always be learning. Lesson number nine, I am seasonally interested in homeschool academics. I really value learning and I really value reading, possibly because I was not a reader until a year after I graduated high school. My English teacher said to me in grade 12, I know the kids that watch TV and I know the kids that read and you need to pick up a book. And she was right. And I did, not because she said that, <laughs> I had other reasons, but um, from about the age of 18, maybe 17 and a half when I graduated, <clears throat> excuse me, 
about the age of 18 until uh, now. I am a voracious reader and I feel like I'm kind of catching up. So I get a chance obviously to read a lot of read alouds or really great literature with my kids. And so I get to have all that early childhood stuff and, you know, teen fiction and young fiction and all the classics. I get to enjoy all of that. And I have my gigantic stack of reading book or reading list as well. I write it all down on Goodreads. Um, I love picking up a book side development, not just to learn, but also to sometimes enjoy. And uh, I pick up during the summer some pretty light stuff just for fun. And, uh, and reading, yeah, that's a huge part of my life right now. But I have to say I'm seasonally interested in homeschool academics. I, I think I get bored after a while of doing curriculum and I get bored of seeing the Matthew C. workbook and having to check their work and see if they understand this next concept. And I get bored of that process. So then I want to put it away. And last but not least, it is not a cliche that the days are long, but the years are short. It is a cliche because it's definitely an overused statement, but it is so true. Everyone says it. You hear it repeatedly. And yet I've been there now. I'm on the other side of it where I have a child that I can remember like yesterday was keeping me up in the middle of the night, seemed to never want to fall asleep, was pretty colicky. You know, I'd spend an hour to drive her one direction, drive her back and hope she'd fall asleep and she didn't. And for reasons I don't understand, I have more vivid memories with my first child than some of my other kids, even though they were more recent. It was very formative. And it really does feel like yesterday that maybe she was downstairs leading the, you know, Barbie play time at, after our studies were finished. And, you know, she always just had so many ideas and she was so much fun. And she was um, leading the bandwagon. And I miss her. Okay. She's that independent kid that said to me at the beginning of the pandemic that, yeah, no, I can't come home. I have to stay and do what I'm doing here. And um, mom, if I'm independent, am I really independent now if I have to come home during a pandemic? Yeah, that is that child. <laughs> anyway. She called last night and it was like, you know, show and tell with her. And she was, you know, chatting with my youngest son about their piano lear learning because neither my youngest nor my oldest had official piano lessons. They had other instrument lessons or voice lessons, but uh, they both got interested in the pandemic learning to play piano. So they were sharing with each other their different pian piano pieces and, um, you know, she actually has called before to consult him on his ancient Greek and Latin history understanding because she is in, part of her degree is in, in that study. So she knows how much he reads. So she was consulting him and, you know, she had a fun time with my other two girls and, you know, that relationship continues. The mother experience continues in a different way, but that early 18 years which sounds like a really long time, but it really, really isn't. It goes by so quickly. And I remember that first moment of real independence. And it was when we, when I drove her to a major airport eight hours away from us 
so that I could put her on an airplane to fly to a foreign country with a backpack independently, of course. Whew. That was a day. The days can be long, but the years are short. The most beautiful thing that I've learned about homeschooling is that it gives you an endless number of memories. You get to have a very full, a very rich family life as a homeschool family. It has been a pleasure to chat with you this week. I will be back next Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I will drop a Zoom link in my Facebook page, Capturing the Charmed Life, uh, with a graphic that I think is there right now. And uh, join me, bring your questions. I'm eager to chat, get to know you, and help support you, encourage you, empower you, so that you can know that you really got this girlfriend. If you want to be homeschooling, you can be homeschooling. So I wish for you and your children that your challenges this week will be turned into your charms. Have a great week. Thank you for joining me today. I would love to hear more about who you are, so come on over to my Facebook or Instagram page, Capturing the Charmed Life. My goal is to equip you with strategies to help you turn your challenges into your charms. If you want to learn more about my course, How to Homeschool 101, or my upcoming book, Homeschool Mama Self-Care, Thrive, Not Just Survive, head over to www.capturingthecharmedlife.com. You'll also find the show notes and links to everything you've heard in this episode. I hope you and your kids have a charmed week. And until next time, I hope you can turn your challenges into your charms.